Good morning. Good to see you all today. It's a great day, great day to start uh, a new year. I wonder, how's your focus as we begin this new year? I was reading yesterday, reminded of that movie, uh, Apollo 13, and uh, how the astronauts have to make a critical course correction, and if they fail, they might never return to Earth. And to conserve power, you know, the, the onboard computer that had steered the craft had been shut down. But they needed to conduct, remember, that 39-second burn. And uh, during that period of time, the real critical question was not whether they would re-enter the atmosphere, but what their direction would be. And they had to steer, this amazing, steer the module manually. And the key was they had this little window, and their goal in that time was to keep the earth in that window, keep the focus on that. And if they could keep the earth in the window steering, um, then they would make it safely back home. And... uh, I'm guessing nothing we're facing at the beginning of a new year is quite that intense. Um, But as we begin a new year, it occurred to me that if you and I could keep our focus in this new year on Jesus Christ, as uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 says, after that great hall of fame of faith, he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Just focus on him. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He got whatever is started in my life and your life, he got it started. And he's the one who's going to perfect it, bring it to completion. And so if we could keep our focus on him, more important than those astronauts keeping earth in the window, we've got to keep Jesus on the radar screen of our lives, uh, right in the center as we begin a new year. And so to do that, I'd like to move from the Old Testament to the New, uh, from Moses to Peter. I'm guessing over these next uh, weeks, uh, you're going to find that you have a lot in common with Simon Peter. Uh, He's a guy who, when he was on his uh, game, was at the top of his game. And when he was off his game, uh, he could really be off. And uh, he had his highs and his lows, and sometimes he had them in a matter of about five minutes. And um, I love the story of Simon Peter because as long as I've been reading the New Testament, I can identify with this guy. In part because, uh, after all, he was uh, a fisherman. And uh, I don't know if you you guys love to fish, but probably for me, there's... uh, not much that I can do that will lower my blood pressure more uh, than just, just going fishing. And, uh, you know, I remember one time I was fishing with my little brother up in Missouri. Kind of amazing time. He was, he's nine years younger than I am. So uh, I was in college, so he was probably, you know, a young teenager. And we went out to this place to fish. And uh, it was in Missouri. And there were these little tree stumps. And, uh, and there was this squirrel who was just kind of bopping out on these tree stumps. And... Um, you know, he was picking up nuts. It was kind of, I don't know, late fall or something. And he's on this little tree stump, and he's grabbing this nut. And I mean, I kid you not, out of nowhere, there's just this, this whoosh. And this bass grabs the squirrel and And I'm like, my little brother's like, and we're just, you know, dumbfounded, unbelievable, you know. And a, a couple minutes later, the bass came back and put a little nut on that same stump. And, and uh, just, just like I've just... <laughs> done to you uh took him right in you know the only thing that makes the stories of jesus miracles questionable is that they were all witnessed by fishermen and i mean nothing really makes them questionable but if you just think about it uh jesus called four guys who were former fishermen uh to be followers of his and i guess if god can use uh fishermen if god can use simon peter if god can use me god can use any one of us so let's, uh, let's open 
with Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, this is the first story from Peter's life. It's really, uh, if, you, if you get all the Gospels involved, you, you find there are kind of three opening stories of Jesus' encounter with Peter. Uh, but none, I think, um, more significant than this one. So we'll start with Luke chapter 5, verse 1. If you want to stand with me, uh, let's stand together in, in uh, reverence for our God and His Word. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. You may be seated. So how does the journey of discipleship begin? How did you start on your walk with Christ? Um, Simon first heard of Jesus, we believe. If you look at the Gospel of John, Andrew and uh, the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, likely were following in that group of people who were following John the Baptist. And there came a day when they just started following Jesus. And Jesus turns around and says, why are you following me? And they said, we want to see where you live. And Jesus said, okay, follow me. And out of that encounter, Andrew, it says, first found his brother, Simon, and said, we've, we found the Messiah. And that was probably the first that Peter heard of him. And then you sort of fast forward a little bit into the future and you find um, Peter and James and John, who are apparently uh, partners in the fishing business. And they've been fishing and they've been fishing all night and they haven't caught anything. And now they've got the job, you know, I mean, I suppose it's a little easier to clean your nets if you've caught a bunch of fish. Um, but they haven't caught anything. And so uh, they're there beside the, the side of the shore and Jesus is teaching there and there's just this mass of people. I think Jesus' ministry was probably like that, just sometimes just teeming multitudes of people. Remember that time when he's, he's surrounded by this crowd of people and he looks at his disciples and said, who touched me? And they say, yeah, you're touched all right. I mean, look, you know, there are hundreds of people massing around you. Over the holiday we were in New York and and uh, we took the kids into town on Friday night when we got there. I guess it was the Friday night, the day after Christmas. And I have never been in such a crowd in my whole life. I mean, it was such a mass of people that we couldn't walk, you know. I mean, and uh, you're just surrounded by people. Well, Jesus is like that. He's just, there's just this mass of people around him. And they're pressing so hard, as you read the Gospels, it's like they're going to push him into the water. And he's just trying to find a foothold. And finally he realizes it would be easier to be in a boat and teach them and them sit down on this sort of natural amphitheater 
than for him to keep trying to stand while the people are pressing in and pushing against him. And um, so as he's standing there, he says, uh, he just gets in a boat, the one that belongs to Simon. I don't think Jesus did anything by accident. And that began the encounter that led to this miraculous transformation in Peter's life. But if you read the Gospel or the book of Acts, you see really it began the transformation of the church. So this is a tremendous moment where God just sort of intervenes in Simon Peter's life. And, and, and Peter has this encounter with the eternal. You remember we talked about Moses and the burning bush. Well, this is that moment for Simon Peter where he, he finally sees who Jesus is. And he's not just taking his brother Andrew's word for it anymore, but he personalizes it. He recognizes who Jesus is because Jesus says to him after he teaches, hey, go put your nets down. He's obedient. I think he's probably being just kind and deferential. Okay, we'll fish again, but what do you know about fishing? You're an itinerant preacher, and before that you were a carpenter, but okay, if you say so, we'll go fish one more time, sir. And he goes out there, and he catches more fish than he's ever caught. And when he comes to shore, he falls on his knees and says, you got to get out of here. If you are who I think you are, and you know who I am, then we can't stay together because you're holy and I'm sinful. And it's a remarkable moment when Jesus says to him, now, all of this was orchestrated because it was my plan that you would become a follower of mine. And that happens in his life. And I wonder if that has happened in our lives, if there was ever a moment when we were humbled by the holiness of God. Peter Marshall calls it a tap on the shoulder when God just sort of steps into your life and says, okay, you've been doing it your way, now you're going to do it my way. And uh, when, when God does that, just a couple things I want to show you this morning. The first thing is, when we have an encounter with the eternal, when we run into God, uh, He will reveal to us our failures. And at the same time, He will require that we follow Him. First, He reveals our, our sinfulness. Uh, it's an incredible miracle in that right. I don't, I don't think Jesus at this moment just uh, you know, knows the salooner table better than Peter. I don't think he looks out there and sees, a, as some say, a, you know, a big dark spot on the water and says, oh, get out there and catch those fish. They're right there. I remember one time we were fishing down in the bay and uh, you know, there was this mass of redfish coming across the water and they just kind of made a V you know, and, and uh, the, the bait fish were jumping in front of them and our guide said, okay, if you guys can, if you guys can cast into that V you will catch a fish, a redfish. And we did, and we did. I mean, we, it was a party. And, um, but I don't think that was the deal at all. I think Jesus orchestrated all of this because he had a greater plan for Peter's life. And I just think there are moments when God uh, unexpectedly steps into our lives. And when he does, uh, he has a greater purpose than just that we catch more fish that day or that we uh, uh, you know, close the quarter well. Or I think when God does those things, sometimes it's his way of saying, okay, now you depend on me. And I know that because of Peter's response, because what Peter doesn't say is, wow, what good luck. I mean, uh, you know, I call, or he doesn't say to Jesus, okay, here's the deal. Let's go into business together. I'll make, I'll make a deal with you, Jesus. I'll let you teach from my boat and you tell me when to fish and we're both going to get really rich. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a great scheme and this will work. I mean, it's none of that. What he does is he just kind of falls on his knees and says, Wow. Um, not, hey, hang around and be my good luck charm, my lucky rabbit's foot. No, he says like, whoa, you got to get out of here because I know who I am and now I know who you are. And it's not just that Jesus knew where the fish were, but Jesus knew where Simon Peter was. And if you'll receive it at the beginning of a new year, he knows exactly where we are. He knows what we've done. He knows um, 
our, our strengths. He knows our failures. He knows our weaknesses. And there are just moments when we encounter the eternal. I see it in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, he goes to the temple and, and God shows up. And when God shows up, everything changes. And he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I just wonder if we've ever been humbled by the holiness of God. And I mean that to, to say, you know, if, if you and I have never come to the place where the holiness of God just overwhelms us, then we need to go back again and encounter Him again. Because in an encounter with the Eternal, it's not like you pat God on the back and go, you know, God, um, let's make a deal. You know, I'll do something for you. You do a little something for me and we'll just, we'll have a deal. No, it's not like that. It's like, it's like He's the deal. He's the focus. He's the image. And you realize in that moment that if you, if, if you go His way, everything is going to be different. And if you don't go his way, everything's going to be bad. And I think, I think Peter comes to that moment. And it's, it's not the end of his journey, but it's the beginning of his journey. And um, I'm just praying for us in this new year that we'll have an encounter like that. I was, I was driving to Bally's last night. And, um, and um, I had a, a kind of moment like this. And I have to tell you about it. It's been kind of a crazy holiday for us beyond just a wonderful trip to New York with our kids. Um, we, um, on Christmas Eve, got a phone call. Um, I could take it back, I guess, nine years before that. About nine years ago, I got a phone call from a cousin I hadn't seen in 20 years. And uh, she said, hey, I'm expecting a baby. And I've got lupus and hepatitis and, um, and um, um, pulmonary hypertension. And my doctors are telling me not to have this baby. And before I make a decision, I wanted to call you and see what you think. And um, we had a long conversation, and um, she decided to have that baby. And I heard through the family grapevine that she had had the baby. It was a little girl. And then I didn't hear from her for nine years. And then uh, this past summer, when Hurricane Gustav went through Louisiana, my phone rings. And it's her mom, my Aunt Alice. How do you say, you probably have an Aunt Alice. How do you say no to Aunt Alice, you know? And she said, hey, your cousin Christy, my daughter, and her little girl Casey... Um, they're, they're in Houma, Louisiana, and there's no electricity, and they've had no uh, air conditioning, and they've had no um, way to protect themselves from mosquitoes. There's a hole in the roof of their apartment because the hurricane ripped the roof off, and she needs a place to go, and she can't come to Florida. Can she come to your house? And I said, sure. And um, so she did, and, and uh, they stayed uh here in, in this area for a week, came to Tallowood Saturday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night. She's little Casey sang in the choir. And uh, we realized we needed to find a more permanent place for him. And so we placed him in the Texas Baptist Children's Home in Round Rock. Um, they have a family care unit, much like Gracewood here in town, same organization. And next thing um, we know, we've got her placed over there. Casey's in school. Everything's going well. Christmas Eve, I get a phone call. And um, they say, your, your cousin Christy has been found dead in her room. She died. And we're like, whoa. And I remember it was midnight on Christmas Day. It was like 12.02. And I'd gotten a call at 10 o'clock from 512 area code. So I just, you know, dialed back at midnight on Christmas Day. I don't know what I was doing. And, uh, and this policeman says, I have bad news for you. You know, your cousin is, has passed away. And I, no kidding. I said, Seriously? That's what I said. You know, what do you say? You know, and he said, sir, I would not joke with you at a time like this. I went, okay. Um, and um, so we'll spin an emotion. We spent most of our trip from 
New York, calling back, checking on Casey. Um, her dad's a, a drug addict in Florida, in and out of jail. Nobody in her family can or will take her. And a uh, great thing about Texas Baptist Children's Home is if there's a kid in need, they find a place for him. And they found a place for Casey. And Melanie and I are, are praying about a custody hearing a week from Friday about the possibility of taking Casey into our home. And um, I need you to pray with me about that. So yesterday I get news that her dad may be coming over for this custody hearing. And so I call this lady who's the house mom who's been there 29 years who's taking care of Casey. And uh, I said, man, you know, he may come and we don't know. And they're saying he could, he's coming on the weekend so he can spend some time with her. And this is kind of scary to us. And here's this lady who's a house mom um, who's just a servant of God. And she says, well, pastor, we just need to pray. And she said, if you think about it, um, Christy shouldn't even have been in this home. She's supposed to be able to work, but she got here. She was so sick, she couldn't work. She shouldn't even have been here. And God found a way to find a place for Casey. So if God's been working all this time, can't we trust God to take care of her uh, in the future? And I am just, I mean, I'm just sitting there in Bally's parking lot going, wow. Now that is faith. And I mean, I, you know, I mean, I do this for a living and, uh, I've been called to this since I was, you know, 12 years old, and I have never had that kind of faith. And I was just humbled by that. And I'm listening to this lady go, you know what? It's in God's hands. He's going to take care of it. We're not going to worry about it, are we, Pastor? We're just going to pray. We're just going to take God at his word. And, man, she's preaching to me, and I am listening, you know. And um, I'm ready for her to start singing Amazing Grace, and I'm going to walk down the aisle. I mean, you know, I mean, she is preaching, and I am just, you know, I get a front row seat. And... And I mean, I just sat there last night and I thought, God, you know, how have I been at it this long and I don't have that kind of faith, you know? I mean, this lady humbled me by her simple trust in God. And I, we just need to bring her and let her give a testimony at Tallowood sometime. I mean, it's just amazing to me, just her, her trust in God. They call her Ma Toner. And uh, I just want to say, at some point in your life, God may just arrest you in your tracks like he did Simon Peter. And I'm praying... It'll be soon, and I'm praying it'll be life-changing and that uh, everything will be turned upside down by the grace of God. When we encounter the eternal, He reveals our failures. And there's no sense, um, you know, sort of pretending or making resolutions. Um, the second thing I want to say to you is that when we encounter the eternal, He requires that we follow Him. This is an amazing story because um, if you see the first time when Simon says to him in verse 5... Um, you know, Master, we've worked all night, haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. That's a different word than the word he uses when he calls him Lord um, in verse 8. In verse 5, the word is epistates, no big deal, except um, it's kind of like saying sir. Um, we have a, a friend who works here at, at Tallowood. Uh, he's one of our, our guys who's on the crew that makes this place look good. And um, I see him all the time. And I always stop and speak to him. And... He calls me Mr. And uh, in his language, I think that's his equivalent for sir. You know, and he's saying Mr. Well, I think this is kind of what, um, you know, I think Simon is saying, you know, epistates, you know, sir, we've worked hard all night. But, you know, it's just, I mean, he's being polite. But when you see him in verse 8 say, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. This is not politeness. This is reverence. It's not deference, it's reverence. I mean, he's, he's recognizing that Jesus is different than any person he's ever seen in his life. And because of that, um, he realizes his life is going to change. And at the very height of his success as a fisherman, 
the amazing part of this story is he just walks away from that. I mean, he's just had his best day as a fisherman and he just leaves the boat and walks away. What would cause him to do something like that? Well, he's had an encounter with the eternal. And I wondered, as I read this again, what Jesus saw in him. And the first thing I noticed is that Jesus saw determination in him. I mean, even verse 5, his willingness to go back out again, um, tells us that this is a guy who doesn't quit. And that's an incredible quality. And I just want to say, if you're a person with determination, um, God can use that in your life for all of Peter's bad qualities. And I think we're going to see some of them in the weeks to come. He was not a quitter. So later in John chapter 6, when uh, the big crowds of people that have been following Jesus, the ones who heard the Sermon on the Mount, that whole multitude of people just walks away from Jesus. In John chapter 6, verses 66 to 68, Jesus looks at the disciples and says, Okay, are you guys going to leave too? And it's Peter who says, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of life. In other words, I'm not quitting. And uh, we see, I think, that same quality in Elisha. When Elijah called him to take up his mantle and in 2 Kings 2, Elisha is following Elijah and Elijah says, hey, you don't have to go with me now. Uh, I'm, you know, and Elisha says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. I mean, he is stuck to him like glue. He is going to follow him because he is determined to be wherever his master is. That's what's going to happen in Peter's life. And God is about developing not just, you know, we talk about leadership. He's about developing followership. And you'll never be a great leader in your home. I'll never be a great leader in my home. We'll never be great leaders in our work. Until we become great followers of the greatest leader of all. In his book, The Maverick War, Dwayne Schultz tells about Art Chen. Art Chen was a fighter pilot during the 1930s who took on three enemy fighters. Uh, He shot down one. He ran out of ammunition, so he rammed the second one. Then he parachuted out of his plane. And uh, when he got to the ground, he landed pretty close to the wreckage of his plane. He went over there and grabbed a machine gun. Uh, He walked 10 miles to the nearest base walked up to his commanding officer holding this machine gun and said, Sir, can I have another plane for my gun? I mean, this is determination, you know? Like, I'm not going to quit. I read this week again about uh, the 1972 NASA uh, Exploratory Space Probe Pioneer 10 that they sent to reach Jupiter, and it did, and it sent back data, and then it just kept going. In fact, 25 years later, 6 million miles from the Earth, um, it's still sending back data uh, from Neptune and Plato, and by 1997, it, had, it reached, I said, six million, six billion miles from the sun. It was still sending back information 25 years after it was launched, and it did all of this with an 8-watt transmitter, uh, like the one that you would use for a radio. And the little satellite was not qualified to do what it did, but I would just say this. Um, when you and I offer ourselves to God, we may have 8-watt abilities. 8 watts maybe all we have, but God can use that. But what God cannot use is a person who quits. Peter was persistent. He goes back out and fishes again. I think Jesus sees that quality and says, I can use that in him. The other thing I see in him is a submission to the authority of Christ. So when he says, Master, you know, Sir, and then he comes to the place where he says, Lord, or I think the word is boss. Um, what he's saying is, I, I recognize you're in control of my life. C.S. Lewis said, Jesus is either a liar or he's a lunatic or he's the Lord. Make your choice. He's either a liar who claimed to be somebody he wasn't, or he's a lunatic on the level of somebody who thinks he's a poached egg when he's not, or he is the Lord. And if he's Lord, then the Lordship of Jesus Christ is not like a luxury option on an automobile in our relationship with him where we can sort of, you know, uh, say, well, I'll take that. I'll take Lordship today. No. Uh, If you take Jesus, you take Lordship. He's in charge. He's in control. Um, Carol and 
our other children's ministers often use the term boss to help children understand what it means for Jesus to be Lord of their lives. And she was talking to one little boy and he said, well, I don't want another boss. And uh, she said, okay, but Jesus can't be your Lord without being your boss. And I would say the same thing to us this morning. He's not going to be our Lord unless he's our boss. And uh, Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And, um, and so it, what it says in this passage is, um, so they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything and followed him. Verse 11. And I just want to say again, that's what discipleship is about. There are moments in life, as Yogi Berra said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. And if uh, you come to a moment in your life where God says, follow me, then we have no choice but to follow him. And I love what Henry Blackaby says. This is the most profound thought I've had in the new year. Uh, it's not my thought, it's Henry Blackaby's. But he said, you and I are just one step of obedience away from learning the next truth about God. We're one step, if we're obedient to him, we'll learn the next truth about God. He doesn't reveal 50 years ahead, but he'll reveal one truth at a time. And sometimes, can I just be honest this morning? Sometimes I have to go back to the place where I left the path and obey God at that point in order to learn the next truth he wanted me to learn. Because he can't teach me when I'm off the path. When I'm not following him, I'm not in a position to learn more about him. But we're one step of obedience away from learning the next truth about God. What Peter did when he left that boat was he just took the next step of obedience. And I don't know what the next step of obedience is for you. Um, but what Jesus says to him is, you're going to fish for men. And I love this word in Greek. The word is zogreo. It means to bring them back alive. Um, Jesus is sort of uh, catch and release. You know, you, you catch him, he cleans them. Um, he's, about, he's about bringing people back to himself alive. And I remember some years ago, I was reading uh, in the Baptist Standard a story about a guy named Glenn Chapelier. He was um, a youth minister at a church, and he felt like God was calling him. Now, I said again, he's a youth minister at a church. He felt like God was calling him to go on the Bassmaster circuit. Don't you wish God would call you like that? You know, I want you to leave your office, and I want you to go be a Bassmaster pro fisherman. Well, um, Glenn accepted that call, and uh, now he and another... Christian Pro, they do a 45-minute fishing seminar, and uh, they talk about, you know, which lures they use and what, what they do, you know, what their techniques are, and then he says, I stand in the boat, and I tell them about Christ, and I say, you've seen what I fish with, but this is what I live by, and I hold up my Bible, and I tell them my testimony, and uh, out of that experience, literally hundreds of men on the pro fishing circuit have come to know Christ because Glenn was obedient. Now, if you get that call, I would say obey that call. But I would say wherever you are today, you already have that call. Um, I love what Peter Marshall wrote. He said, God brought Moses from minding the sheep. We saw that last, last fall. Um, he took Amos from the herds of Tekoa. He beckoned Peter, James, and John from the fishing boats and their nets. He called Livingston from the mill in Blantyre, Scotland. He called Carey from the cobbler's bench where he repaired shoes. He claimed Moody from the shoe store, from the mills, the factory, and the farm they came. From the ranks of mediocrity or the gutters of sin, he calls them, he changes them, and he makes them his messengers. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. We'll see you next week.